We have been getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 for three weeks previous. This is our fourth night. Um, talking about who Jesus is to us. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. That's been our main verse all along and it still is tonight. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, uh, we've hit wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification in the last three weeks. And you, you got to understand this, that there's just no way that, that we're doing an exhaustive study on either one of those. Like I said to you a few weeks back, it's kind of like the seafood platter, you know. When you get the platter, you don't get all the clams that you would get if you just ordered the clams, you know what I'm saying? So, so it's kind of like a sampler. <laughs> so this series is kind of like the sampler in that way. But uh, uh, tonight, we're going to focus in on that last word, redemption. Are you ready? That Jesus has been made redemption to us. And understand this and the importance of what we're going to hit tonight when talking about redemption, is that redemption is what allowed Jesus to become all those other things to us. Without redemption, Jesus couldn't be our wisdom. Without redemption, Jesus couldn't be our righteousness. Without redemption, Jesus couldn't be our sanctification because redemption was the work that made it all possible. Hallelujah. And so we just want to go ahead and teach this tonight and and uh, hope the, the clock like has an accident or something because so much to get to you. Uh, uh, let me give you some of the definitions of the, the Greek words for redeem and redemption. And uh, uh, the obvious one being redeem, but also uh, to release on receipt of ransom. So if somebody was being held, this redemption is when they are released upon the receipt of ransom. And hallelujah, Jesus was made a ransom for us. <laughs> hey. uh, listen to this, liberation procured by the payment of ransom. So somebody got liberated because ransom got paid. Uh, to cause to be released to oneself by a payment of a ransom. By, by the payment of the ransom of the lifeblood of Jesus, we were released back into his possession. Glory to God. Think about this. To recover from the power of another by the payment of a price. Isn't that what happened to us? We got recovered from the power of another by the payment of a price. Hey, you like my little illustration there. If you were taking notes, I have to do it for you again. See, we got recovered from the power of another by the payment of a price. Hallelujah. And also to deliver. And I love this part. To deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. Woo. To deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. What blesses me is simply this, that whatever the evil is, 
I don't have to have it in my life anymore. Jesus took care of it all, whether it is affecting me internally or affecting me externally. And we're going to go ahead and, and see that. But I wanted to go ahead and lay that groundwork as far as uh, the, the meaning of the, the Greek words for redeem and redemption that we see throughout the New Testament. Now, uh, to get things started, you, you got to ask the simple question, why did man need to be redeemed? Well, one of the most clear things I can say to you is man needed to be redeemed because man was dead. Man gave in to spiritual death and by giving in to spiritual death, that led to physical death and every other mess that a man could ever be messed with was all wrapped into that. It started with spiritual death It later on manifested in physical death. You know, there's one translation of where the, the Lord says to, uh, 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 to Adam, uh, that, that you can eat the trees of, uh, all the trees of the garden, but not this one, because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Young's literal translation of that line, you will surely die, says, dying thou dost die, which is, you know, archaic language. In other words, dying, you will die. Which means there's a death that's happening right now, but there's also a death that's coming later. It was an immediate spiritual death, but because of that spiritual death, it ultimately led to physical death as well. And it also led to every other mess that is uh, brought into the world because spiritual death coming into the world, which is how do you define spiritual death? It's not a spirit ceasing to exist. Spirits are eternal and can't cease to exist. But spiritual death is a spirit that is separated from God. And that is most definitely what happened there in the Garden of Eden. And so along with that came all the other mess that can come with separation from God. Romans 5.12 says this, that just as uh, through one man sin entered the world... And then death came through sin, and then death spread to all men because all sin. If you remember, those of you, were, uh, those of you that were with us when we talked about righteousness, we we, we uh, talked about this certain uh, compilation of uh, uh, translations, kind of put together that so beautifully illustrate what happened and what's talked about in Romans five regarding Adam, regarding the first Adam and the last Adam. And what it was is that what came to us through the first Adam came by force. And we had no choice in the matter. But what comes through the last Adam comes voluntarily and through faith. How many of you remember that? That that what came through the first Adam, we didn't have a choice in the matter. That was forced on us. But what comes through the last Adam, that's voluntary. And you receive that by faith. Amen. Let's go ahead and put this uh, uh, statement up on the screen. With spiritual death came physical death, along with every other manifestation of man's separation from God. Now, Now, think about that for a minute. You probably could walk around today and you saw a whole lot of manifestations of man's separation from God. An outward demonstration, an outward sign that, yep, this world, these people, we are separated from God. 
Because you know it don't look like Eden. If it don't look like Eden, it's obviously a manifestation of separation from God. So let's start again. With spiritual death came physical death. Along with every other manifestation of man's separation from God. And along with that, it's not just separation from God, but it's also separation from the perfect condition in which God originally intended him to live. So when when man lost out on the connection he had with God, then man lost out on all the benefits and the perks that he had as a result of the connection. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of perks and benefits to be connected to God because God is good. Hey, hey, someone say he's a good, good father. So when you get disconnected from him, then you get disconnected from all the beautiful things that he originally intended man to have. The, the life, you're, you're disconnected from it. The light, you're disconnected from it. The fellowship with him, the, the union with him, you're disconnected from it. Confidence was replaced with cowardliness. You saw that right away in the garden. They were acting like cowards real quick. I didn't do it, she did it. She, I, I didn't do it, he did it, you know. Plentifulness was replaced with poverty. Come on now. Health was replaced with sickness. Joy was replaced with sorrow. And right from the beginning, man's made failed attempts to correct the mess that he caused. Starting in the garden when they're trying to put fig leaves on themselves to cover themselves up. And they hear God showing up and they go hiding. And it's interesting, you make a skirt out of fig leaves, what happens when the, the fig leaves, you know, kind of dry up and, you know, I guess you need to get sown fig leaves again or find another plant that's green all year long or something, I don't know. But, but it's interesting, think about the, the, the condition of mankind and that the problem that mankind had was that the connection got broken. That there was a connection with God and man was spiritually alive and could have, if he did not make this choice that he made to disobey God, could have lived forever in that state. But what happened is that got broken through disobedience and then as a result, well, what you have is you have a gap. Let me give you the words of the prophet Ezekiel. Actually, this is the prophet Ezekiel penning this, but this is God's heart. Listen to God's heart. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Think about the heart of God as he's uh, scanning through mankind looking for somebody who would be qualified to stand in the gap but does not find one person, one among men qualified to stand in the gap. Look at Job. Job chapter 9. This is 32 and 33 in the New Living Translation. God is not mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. Next verse. If only. Come on now. 
See, th th this is the realization of what was wrong and what needed to happen to fix what was wrong. Can somebody help me tonight? If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Now, all right, let's see. Who am I going to pick on? Tim, I'll pick on you. And Dennis, I'll pick on you. You always get picked on because you sit on the front row all the time. And you do too. So, so are you stand right there. And Tim, you stand right about there, right where your wife's lovely purse is, all right? Now, now, we got a problem because there's a gap. Between here and here, there's a gap. All right. Now, I don't know how big my wingspan is here, so why don't you come one chair closer? All right. So there's a gap. Someone needs to come and bridge the gap. That was Job's cry. He said, oh, if only there was a mediator who could bridge this gap, who could put one hand here and one hand here and bring these two separated parties together again. Thank you, guys. Hallelujah. Job said, if only. Aren't you glad that if only has happened? You know, we're going to look at four things tonight. We're going to look at the promise of redemption, the process of redemption. The promise is the fact that it was foretold, that it was God's plan from the ages, that he was kept on saying he was going to do it. Then after that, we'll look at the process, what Jesus actually had to do to get it done. And then we're going to look at the, the profession of our redemption, the, the fact that uh, we're supposed to say something. Hey, hey. And then as a matter of fact, uh, uh, well, as, as a matter of course, when you profess, once there's a profession of your redemption, there's a possession of your redemption. So we're going to look at those four things. We're going to look at the promise and the process, and then we're going to look at the profession and the possession. Amen. Let's talk about the promise of redemption. And right when the fall first took place, I want you to look at some words that God spoke right as soon as the mess happened to mankind. Genesis 3.15. This is God talking to the serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, interesting thing that uh, um, as you study this verse, you see that, that, that many people focus in on the idea that this is about her seed. And if you understand how things work, it's the man that has seed, not the woman that has the seed. So when you start hearing about her seed, then, then you see a picture of something that is not happening uh, according to the natural process of things. Because this is not his seed. This is not the man's seed or the father's seed. This is her seed. The seed of a woman, but a woman don't have seed. What is this talking about? Can someone say the virgin birth? Hallelujah. Can someone realize here that right from the very beginning that God's talking about the plan by which the seed of the woman gets into the world 
And why go through that particular process? Because if, if Jesus came here by the usual process of a earthly dad and an earthly mom, then he'd be afflicted with the same mess that every other member of the human race is aff- afflicted with. So what a, what the genius of God that there was a way for the Holy Spirit to overshadow Mary and plant the seed of Almighty God inside of her. And yet that, that seed would, would grow in her and be born out of her and yet not be impacted with the defilement of the first Adam's blood. Is somebody glad about it tonight? And he shall bruise your head. The seed of the woman will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, here's the thing. Jesus got a bruise on his heel. But I got to tell you that the bruise on the heel of Jesus that was received in his death and in his sufferings is very, very small compared to the bludgeoning on the head that the enemy got. Can you say amen tonight? Hallelujah. So here, right there in the Garden of Eden, the words were spoken. The promise of one who was going to come and defeat that serpent, and the way he was going to come in was through the seed of the woman. Hallelujah. All throughout the Old Testament, you see amazing statements. Over in Jeremiah 23, 6, and uh, also in 33, 16, it basically says the same thing. The prophet says, in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. We talked about that. Think about this, that the Lord our righteousness, hey, that he'd be coming, and in his days, Judah would be saved, and Israel would dwell safely. And the Lord, our righteousness, does that make you think of a verse we talked about a few weeks back that said that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him? Hallelujah. We see it. The prophet Hosea said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Jeremiah said again in chapter 31, verse 11, he said, uh, The Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one that was stronger than he. See, if you could have got yourself out of the the stronghold and the the chokehold and the foothold that the enemy had on you, you would have gotten yourself out. But the thing is, is that once Adam got us in that, there was nothing that could legally be done. To get us out. Not by a mere human being. There was no option. We were in it. And we were stuck in it. And there was not a way out. Except. The seed of the woman. (laughs) Hallelujah. So the Lord. Has ransomed. Him. Us. From the hand of the one who is stronger than us. The one who had the chokehold on us. Glory to God. Zechariah said, I'll remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Woo! How prophetic is that? 
He said, I'll remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Glory to God. Job had a picture of the Redeemer. He said in chapter 19, verse 25, I know my Redeemer lives. Hey. And he will stand at last on the earth. So here you've got prophets and you've got Job uh, who, who despite in the middle of the, the mess that he had going in his life, he said, there's a whole lot I don't know, but let me tell you something I do know. I know my Redeemer lives. That was the very one about which he was saying, if only. Remember that? If only. Well, the, the, that was if only. He said, I know. I, I know that Mr. If only, he does live. And there's coming a day when he will stand on the earth. And I love the wording over in Luke chapter 2. Uh, in, uh, in the early days of Jesus' life where it talks about Anna the prophetess. And that she spoke to uh, all those who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. You look that up. That's uh, Luke 2 verse uh, 38. Fascinating. That this woman, this this old prophetess, who'd been praying and seeking God for years and years and years, gets to meet the baby Jesus, <laughs> and, and goes and talks to all of those who are looking for redemption in Jerusalem. How amazing is this? Redemption was promised. But how is it going to happen? Well, we know part of the process was that the way that Jesus would get here is through the virgin birth, through the seed of the woman. That he could not get here in a way in which he would be afflicted with sin just like every other man on planet earth and every other woman on planet earth. But, but that he would need to get here in a way that would be infection free. A, a, a way that, that would bypass sin so that he could be here. The incarnation, the, the God man, one who is not half God and half man, but one who is here on earth, 100% God and 100% man, because where's the gap, the gaps between God and man? So by there being a God man, there's somebody who's able to touch man. But because he's God, he's also able to touch God. And by so doing, bridge the gap that existed between God and man. The process. I mean, we know this, that Jesus gave himself a ransom for many. Uh, the, the words of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he, he establishes that. Let me also read this to you real quick. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Remember, Job was looking for the mediator. Hey, First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Hey, and then it says, who gave himself a ransom for all. Hallelujah. But 
what I want to do, I want to just switch course and get into this process of redemption. We looked at the promise. Let's look at the process. Isaiah 53. There's no way that you're ever going to talk about redemption without going to Isaiah 53. So, so we're going to start with these three verses and then do a few more a little bit later. Three to five, Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I want you to see this, that, that part of this process of redemption was that this God-man, this perfect man, who never, ever, ever sinned, was wounded, bruised, chastised, and had stripes put on him. So the first part of this process we want to look at was the, the, the fact that the, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood was part of this process that had to happen in order to make redemption available. Now you might say, yeah, I know that. But, but you see, whenever we say that to anything, that's when we know we're missing it. Whenever anything in the word becomes, oh, yeah, 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 that. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Whenever that kind of attitude is in place, <laughs> you know you're missing it right there. Hebrews 9, verse 12, says that with his own blood that Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all and obtained eternal redemption. First Peter 1 says we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Revelation 5 says, uh, where, where they sang a new song and they were singing it to Jesus and said, you're worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain. This is uh, Revelation 5, 9 and 10. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How the redemption happened. It happened because of the blood. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, uh, right in there, that in whom we have redemption through his blood. So we see that, that by the, uh, the shedding of the blood of Jesus, that there was something potent and powerful in this blood that, that was able to, uh, purchase redemption for mankind to to buy man back because you see he got sold out in the garden <laughs> he sure did big time sold out in the garden of eden but thank god there was a garden of gethsemane and let me tell you something about the garden of gethsemane the soldiers may have crucified jesus on golgotha but as far as Jesus was concerned, he crucified himself there in Gethsemane. Woo! 
That's where it was settled. And he said, thy will be done. Aren't you glad about it? Hallelujah. But what was it about this blood? Well, we know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. The Old Testament teaches us this. Well, could it be that if the life of the flesh is in the blood, that the life of the spirit was in his blood? <laughs> that you needed a blood transfusion. You needed the actual blood of God to come in contact with you. To bring that which was separated to a point of now being reunited. Hallelujah. And you know the blood got something to say because the scripture says when Abel was killed, murdered by his brother Cain, God said to Cain that the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. But then the book of Hebrews says... That the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Hey, hey, hey. And what's some of those better things that are being spoken? How about this? That those who once were bound are now free. And those who once were lost are now found. And those who were once under the bondage of the enemy are now free from the power of the enemy. Free. Free from bondage. Glory to God. The blood of Jesus definitely speaks better things than Abel's blood that cried out for vengeance. Now, we see the picture of Jesus' physical suffering. But now I want to look again at Isaiah 53 and understand a, a, a deeper layer of this, a deeper layer of the process of redemption, that there was an aspect of the suffering of Jesus that was more than physical. Are you ready? Isaiah 53 and 10 to 12, the last three verses of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul in offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. How far did Jesus have to go just to save us? But it's interesting that as we see here in these verses, that there was a layer of the suffering of Jesus that was beyond the bruises, that was beyond the stripes. But it was actually a suffering internally, just like they were suffering externally. Interesting thing Jesus said over in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, and uh, I'm just going to read that to you. I've got a lot of verses, so I didn't give them all the verses out back. 
He said this statement, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Some people have just read over that and not even caught it. The, the fact that Jesus himself would say that there's a baptism that I need to be baptized with and until it's done, I am distressed about it. What would distress Jesus? We got to ask ourselves the honest question. What could distress Jesus? Over in Matthew 26, 37 and 38, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that he began to be very uh, sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. I don't think that we could ever fully realize what happened inside of Jesus when 2 Corinthians 5.21 happened to him and where him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And with this before him, my, I can see how he'd be distressed about that because here he is enjoying perfect union and perfect fellowship with the Father. For eternity past. And what he's about to face is a moment in time where the very, very thing that caused man to be separated from God in the very beginning was going to be fully placed upon him. And that he himself, the son, the son, was going to have to be separated from the father. Well, did that happen? Well, what did Jesus mean when he was there on the cross and he said the words of Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's interesting. This is a sign that some people will shoot you if you talk about it. But you know what? I got to tell you this, that I am firmly convinced that we can talk about this side of the suffering of Jesus without doing any damage to the blood. We're not disrespecting the blood by saying that there was a, uh, a, 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 a distress that was going on in Jesus, a distress over the, the, the separation that he'd experienced from his father, a, a distress over the fact that the very thing that, that, that was always far away from him as he was the essence of perfection and holiness, and now he had to become the very thing. To become sin for us. So we don't do any damage to the blood. As a matter of fact, this study, when I first realized this as a teenager, it did not cause me to love Jesus less. It caused me to love Jesus more. Think about this, that Jesus, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, and this happened twice. They said, show us a sign. He said, we ain't showing you any sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he said that as the, the son of man was three days and three nights, uh, as Jonah was three days and three nights in, in, the, in the, the, the belly of the great fish, 
So the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Later on in the same gospel, they say, show us a sign. And it doesn't have the same elaboration there, but he says the same thing. He said, there's not going to be any sign given to this generation, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. You see that twice in the gospel of Matthew. It's, uh, I believe, chapter 12 and chapter 16. So it's a real quick, uh, indulge me. If Jesus is looking at his three days and three nights in the heart of the earth as being typified by what happened to Jonah, what was Jonah's experience like? Jonah chapter 2. Here we go. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Sheol is a word, uh, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, in the King James Bible, it's translated 31 times as grave, 31 times as hell, and three times as a pit. The, the King James Bible there reads, out of the belly of hell, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves pass over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Does that sound like what Jesus said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I don't, and nor does anybody else, have every detail of what Jesus experienced on our behalf. But if you just get a glimpse of the price that was paid, the process of redemption, what it took to buy you and I back, it will give you a love and appreciation for Jesus that not many other things would. Glory be to God. I tell you, does that just give you goosebumps on your goosebumps or what to think about what Jesus did for us? Glory to God. So, let me tell you, he went through the process. And all that the process necessitated, all of the, uh, the suffering... Both the external part of it, the internal part of it, he fully paid the price. The process has now been processed. Mankind is redeemed. Jesus did it. Paid it in full. Now, we move on to the profession of our redemption. It's interesting to think that it's not just what God has to say about something. 
And don't throw rocks yet. But it's what we say about what God says. What we say about what God's done that impacts what we receive or what we don't receive. Whether we're just a spectator on the sidelines or whether we're a participator. Whether we're just there watching the, the, the food served on the table or whether you're tur- pulling up a chair to the table and getting yourself some of the grub. The profession of redemption. Psalm 107 and verse 2. Can you put it up there? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. If you're redeemed, God wants you to say something about it. If you're redeemed, God wants you to talk like a redeemed person and talk about what you're redeemed from. Not just to say, woo, and then nice, praise the Lord. But no, 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 no. I'm talking about a real heartfelt, a real deep celebration, a constant affirmation that says, let me tell you what, what is true about me. Hey, let me tell you what's true about me. Let me tell you what he's did for me. And, and, and not just the fact that I stand here redeemed, but what does it mean? What did I get out of it? What's the benefits of redemption? Can you take a seat? Let me tell you for a minute. Hey, hallelujah. What do you got anyhow? What do you got to talk about? What do you got for your own profession? Or as a more common word would be your confession. Galatians 3. Verse 13. Christ has. Now. That don't mean he's going to. That means he has. <laughs> Redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Can somebody say that? Can somebody say Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law? Can somebody say that Abraham's blessings are mine? Psalm 130, verse 7. Woohoo! Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Can somebody say abundant redemption? I want you to know that in this work Jesus did, this is not chintzy. This is not God trying to give you just as much as you need to be saved and go to heaven someday. No, this is God laying it on you so thick that that you are so loaded with blessings and so loaded with benefits that you got to spend your whole life finding out what you got. Hallelujah. This is not cheap redemption. 
This is not God just trying to give you a little bit. This is abundant redemption. Woo! The the word says, (laughs) over in Proverbs 23, it says, Their Redeemer is mighty and he will plead their cause. The word also says over in Jeremiah, their Redeemer is strong and he will thoroughly plead their case. Think about what you can say about your redemption, about your Redeemer. That my Redeemer is strong and mighty and he's pleading my case for me. Come on. Hallelujah. He's pleading my case and he don't lose a case. Glory to God. Think about you being able to to say in line with Isaiah 43, when God said, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. And for you, how can you say that? You can say, I'm called by his name and I belong to him. I belong to him because he bought me. He paid for me. He ransomed me. I was in the possession of a bad dude who wanted to hold me down and hold me back. Tell me I was nothing and keep me down. And if he let me have a little success, you'd have a little success and then whap you with some sorrow. Because how does ungodly success go? Well, it goes the way of the love of money that if you follow after that, the scripture says, pierces you through with a whole lot of sorrow. But then now being on the Lord's side and you experience success according to the Lord. It's the total opposite. You, you went the devil's way. You had to deal with greed and the love of money and get pierced through with many sorrows. But then you go the Lord's way and you get success his way. And what's the word say? The blessing of the Lord makes you rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Woo. Now, what's this about profession? Having to say something. God wants you to profess something because he wants you to possess something. Now, as far as this redemption, it's done. It's legal. It's in writing. If you still got a Bible, it's in writing. Even if you got a uh, your iPhone or your, your iPad or your tablet, it's in writing. It's in the document. You know what I'm saying? But how do you get... From the document to happening in you. Well, that's why we need to go through, first of all, through the road of profession, confession, that you say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But then as you start saying so, what are the things in redemption that are yours? What, what, see, you know, getting saved is part of let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do you realize that? You don't get saved without saying something. That if you would confess, profess, say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I mean, step one of you getting any part of redemption is by saying something. But what do we possess? We profess, but but what is it that we actually possess? 
Well, one interesting thing about possessions, and one one little word out of the prophet Obadiah, and and uh, just one little line. He just got one little chapter, and and you may have never read his book, but you know you may meet him someday, and he'd want to know if you read his book, so you better read it. But Obadiah one verse seventeen. He says that the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now, let me ask you a question. How can you have a possession and not possess it? Some people have possessions and don't possess it because they don't know about it. So that's the first goal is we need to find out what we got. But then besides that, uh, there's also the aspect that I can know I've got something but unless I get up and do something about it, unless I go and, and, and take hold of what's mine and receive what's mine and act like it's mine and believe that the, the, the one who signed the paper was really authorized to turn it over to me. And who's the one who signed the paper? <laughs> who's the one who signed the paper? Glory to God. He's the one who turned the inheritance over to you. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ, he turned the inheritance over to you. And he had, there had to be the death of the, the old word is the testator. The one who made this last will and testament in order for it to go into effect there, somebody had to die. Well, he died. And then rose from the dead to make sure you got what was coming to you. Is somebody excited about that tonight? Hallelujah. So now as we're applying our faith and as we're going into this and possessing and not just, you know, kicking back and saying, well, yeah, maybe it'll just fall on me like a cherry out of a tree. Rather than saying, if God's got something for me and he says it's mine, I don't need to wait for nothing. I'm just going to go get it. Go get it because it's mine. He said so. It's mine and it's mine now. So what belongs to you? Well, you know this. You're redeemed from spiritual death. You know that, that he who has the son has life. And if you've got the son, you've got life. You know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've received God's gift, you've got life. You're no longer in spiritual death. Thank God. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you'd have life and life more abundantly. Now, what, what you possess in your redemption, Lord knows we need weeks to talk about it all, but I just want to give you some highlights tonight. Let me tell you this, that part of what you're redeemed from is you're redeemed from sickness. Did you know that? Is anybody glad about it tonight? Glory to God. You know, we read Isaiah 53, 3 to 5 before, but I want to read it to you out of Young's literal translation. And I want you to notice the wording, especially where it's translated otherwise as griefs and sorrows. Those are the same Hebrew words that are very often translated as sickness and pain. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 53, 3 to 5 out of the Young's literal translation. He is despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And as one hiding the face from us, he is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sickness he has borne and our pains he has carried them. And we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God and afflicted. And he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him. 
and by his bruise there is healing to us. Do you believe that surely, surely, now I don't mean the name surely, I mean S-U-R-E-L-Y. Truly, without a doubt, our sickness he has borne. And our pains he has carried. Does anybody believe that tonight? That's part of the possession of your redemption. Do you believe that as Isaiah said, by whose stripes you are healed? Talking about a day that was to come, but yet Jesus had not yet come and fully accomplished the work. But then in 1 Peter 2.24, this being looked back to after Jesus had come and after Jesus had already done the work, what did he say? Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Tenses are important. Somebody needs to get a hold of the right tense. And understand that you're not trying to get something that is out there somewhere. No, you're trying to uh, 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 to learn how to get a hold of something that is already done, already paid for, already covered, and already yours. Glory to God. You know that Christ redeemed us out of the curse of the law. Well, what's in the curse of the law? Well, you look through the curse of the law over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. You read about all so many sicknesses and, and, and pains and maladies. I mean, that's just a big old long list of stuff that you don't want to have wrong with you. But that's what we're redeemed from. When we're redeemed from the curse of the law, that's part of the curse that we're redeemed from. And then, I love the wording. We're right there in Deuteronomy 28. What verse is that? Is that 61? Yes, 61. He says, and by the way, all the other things that I didn't mention, those are part of the same curse too. And then also right there in that Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find this out. We find out that we're redeemed from another thing, something called poverty. Glory be to God. Are you glad about it? That we're part of the curse in Deuteronomy 28 is that your basket would be cursed. Your kneading bowl would be cursed. That 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 the, the produce of your land would be cursed. The increase of your cattle would be cursed. The offspring of your flocks would be cursed. Instead of uh, Instead of income coming in, it sounds like a whole lot going out. Rather than things working, it sounds like things aren't working. Rather than sounding like money at the end of the month, it sounds like months at the end of the money. But what has Jesus done for you? Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up with one last thing. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And here we are just scratching the surface of what our possession is. In our redemption. But truly, Christ Jesus has been made to us wisdom from God, sanctification, righteousness, redemption. Are you glad about it? Well, come on, praise God with me tonight. Hallelujah.